0: All right, well, it is 12-21-14. What an interesting week this is. If you take these next seven days, today through the 27th, there are a lot of different ways to mark this week in history. I happened to have looked at the History Channel's web, website this morning, and while I was looking at it, I, uh, I found some interesting things. Of all of the things that you think of when it's December 21st, December 22nd, December 23rd, 24th, 25th, 26th, and 27th, there are so many things that happen in history. Let me start with December 21st. December 21st in 1988, the Pan Am American flight 103 exploded over Scotland. When you woke up this morning, there are people that remember this day for that plane crash. In fact, if you think about it, this flight had 243 passengers, 16 crew members. It was 31,000 feet in the air. And there were almost 200 Americans of the 243 passengers on the flight. Momar Gaddafi was retaliating against the United States. And he sponsored terrorist, Islamic terrorists, who did this. December 21st, 1988 was a day that some people will remember every December 21st. Can you say that that's true? It marks a tragedy in their lives and hearts. For this nation, it should have been a moment where we remembered Islam as at war with Western society, Period. That might be one way to remember December 21st. December 22nd, 1956. Tree huggers everywhere, nature lovers everywhere. Might remember this monkey. On this day in 1956, a baby gorilla named Kolo enters the world in the Columbus Zoo in Ohio. She becomes the first ever gorilla born in captivity. She weighed four pounds. Can you believe what gets recorded in history? She was a lowland gorilla, and her name is the combination of the word Columbus and Ohio, colo. Her progenitory is being studied. She is now a great grandmother, and the History Channel feels it noteworthy to let the world know that on December 22nd, 1956, this gorilla came into the world. On December 23rd, 1888, Van Gogh cut his own ear off. He suffered from severe depression and he cut the lower part of his left ear off with a razor while staying in France. He later documented the event with this painting. So art lovers everywhere might recognize December 23rd is the day This man cut his own ear off and found inspiration for a painting. (laughs) Of all the things that December 24th could be remembered for in the world, if you lived in Russia or you lived in Afghanistan, you might remember that December 24th, 1979, the Russians invaded Afghanistan. A 10-year battle in which most of the world agrees they lost. As midnight approached, they took the town of Kabul. They had 8,500 men in each division in more than three divisions, 280 vehicles. It was an enormous invasion. Maybe in Afghanistan right now, they're thinking December 24th marks that day. December 25th, 1914, December 25th, a day in history. It goes down in history as the Christmas truce. What you see on the right side are Germans. What you see on the left side are allied forces. This Christmas truce is five months in to the war in the European theater. And it's the last time in modern warfare that chivalry triumphed over atrocity. This is the last time that combatants expressed to each other general respect for humanity a common interest what began to happen is a german soldier said in english merry christmas and fighting stopped it's been documented they even got to the place where there are photographs of a soccer match that took place on this day all of these men were guilty of insubordination All of these men were defying orders to kill each other and on this day in 1914 on December 25th some might remember it as the last time in modern warfare where men recognized they were fighting other men and not just enemies. On December 26th 1946 this guy Bugsy Siegel opened a hotel in Las Vegas Nevada it's still there to this day. It's been sold and resold, but it cost $6 million. And the world knew he was a criminal. But they didn't care because he was building something they wanted. You might remember December 26, 1946, for the day that Las Vegas, Nevada, got its Pink Flamingo Hotel. December 27, 1932. The Radio City Music Hall was given to us by the Rockefellers. It was billed as a palace for the people, a place of beauty where ordinary people could see high-quality entertainment. Since its opening in 1932, 300 million people have gone to see it. Maybe when December 27th comes around, that's what you're thinking of. Of course, the whole world knows these events happened during this week in history. Of course, the whole world is focused on these events. I'm being facetious, of course. Listen, if you've lost a loved one on the holidays, it may mark a somber occasion for you. If your wife's birthday is at holiday time, say in nine days, She turns 40 years old. Well, you might remember the holiday season in a different way for that reason. But the whole world won't be talking about Bugsy Siegel this week. The whole world won't be talking about Colo the gorilla this week. The whole world is thinking on, considering, and in some cases corrupting the memory and the message of the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not a child. I'm not uneducated. I realize that Christmas is associated in some ways with pagan festivals. I also realize that there's no biblical merit for the concept that Jesus was born in December. Might be right to even acknowledge that we know St. Nicholas was a historical figure that was reported to do good things. There are so many things that happen this time of year, but the whole world, like it or not, will be faced with the fact that the Savior of the world is being celebrated in some form or fashion. You would have to stick your head in the sand and bury it very, very deep to let that escape your notice today. Today, I'm not going to preach about the pagan backdrop of Christmas, and I'm not going to preach about the pure elements in the tradition. I want to speak to you about what overshadows us all. Can you say amen for that? Controversies may abound. Different feelings may abound. For you, it may be the day you're thinking of the pink flamingo, and for somebody else, the day they lost their mother, and for someone else, the day that nears their wife's 40th birthday. It can mean many things to many people, but the thing the whole world will be looking at is that many believe Jesus was born at this time. I want you to relax for a minute. This message will be straight from your Bibles. It should leave you empowered to new heights in Christ. I want to begin with the time period where David was building the temple. He wanted to organize an offering that would carry forward in the generations as a commemoration for the name of God. You can turn with me to 1 Chronicles 29. We'll be in the ninth verse. So that we're all on the same page. I don't care what you do in your homes. You can put a Christmas tree in your living room or you can light one on fire in protest. I've actually done both. But this time of year, Even lost people are talking about someone we love. There is something that overshadows it all. In 1 Chronicles 29, starting in verse 9, the people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. Before we move on, I would like to say that real men, men of the Bible, knew what it was to rejoice over wholehearted giving that was free, no compulsion, no promise of return, no prosperity pimp trying to pry dollars from your pocket, just men who loved the Lord and wanted to give of their lives to the Lord. The Spirit of Christ working in David knew that it was more blessed to give than to receive. Oh, that the church could have a wake-up call in that area today. David's prayer is insightful. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, O Lord, God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Somebody say everything. Everything in the heavens, everything on the earth is yours. There were bad things on the earth in David's day. But in David's mind, God overshadowed it all. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you and ruler and you are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and to give strength to Oh, are you weak in here today? King David knew that the king of the universe could give strength to all. Do you have an area of your heart that is beat down today? Maybe this is not a joyous occasion for you. Maybe this is a really difficult time where our king can give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks And praise your glorious name. Look at verse 14. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? David impressed himself. He set out with all of his heart to do something for the king. And in this case, he wanted to build the temple and God said no. Not everything you want to do for God do you get to do for God. He has a plan for you. He has an order for your life. You have a function and a role to play. All of us have had misconceptions about what we would accomplish for God. And along the way, he adjusts them. But when you figure out what your function is, oh man, David impressed himself. If his role was to be to raise money for his son to build a temple, then he was going to raise money like nobody had ever raised money before. And he did it. Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. David, in the midst of his generosity, acknowledges that it's not really generosity because he is only giving what he has received. Oh, that the church could grab that. We are aliens and strangers in your sight, as were all of our forefathers. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Oh, Lord, our God, as for all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name, it comes from your hand and all of it belongs to you. In other words, mighty God, we are simply giving to you what you have already given to us. There's no merit here. We're simply repeating the behavior that you've already demonstrated for us. David understood that it was more blessed to give than receive. More importantly, he had a firm grasp upon man's fleeting existence and the urgency to give God our all, far more than money, to give and to do it now. He described our days as a shadow. How many of you can draw your shadow? You know, if you move away from children's stories like Peter Pan, how much thought have you ever given to your shadow? It's fleeting. How far you stand from a light source determines its size. Whether you're moving or not might determine whether you can see it. It's all about perspective. It's there and gone. Hebrews calls it shifting shadows. He said man's days are like a shadow. Oh my goodness, if this was the last week. Would you want the world to remember that Kolo, the gorilla, had a baby? If this was your last week, what would you shout from the tops of mountains? If you could accomplish one thing for the God that has given you so much, what would it be this week? Every man will determine for himself the way his own home will face this week. As for me and my household, we would do our all to exalt the name of Jesus Christ. The truth is a shadow is a great descriptor of our days. Before I explain why, let's look at some other references to shadows in the ancient text. Turn to the book of Job. In Job, the third chapter, in the first verse, after this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. Job apparently was not fond of birthdays. (laughs) May the day of my birth perish, and the night it was said a boy is born. That day, may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine upon it. May darkness and deep shadow, somebody say deep shadow, shadow. claim it once more. May a cloud settle over it, may blackness overwhelm its light. That night may thick darkness seize it, may it not be included among the days of the year, nor be entered in any of the months. I think we can all agree Job was on a rather depressive rant. But think of what he encountered He's being attacked by Satan himself, not a demon, not a minion, not a puppet of Satan. He's being attacked by Satan himself. He had a sickness that manifested in painful sores from the top of his head to the bottoms of his feet. Touch the top of your head. Point to the bottoms of your feet. Everything that's in between there is pretty precious to you. He had sores on it all. (laughs) Yeah. You boys squirming over there? Wade and I were trapped in some mud and mire here the other day. We spent about 27 hours digging out of it. I was claiming Psalm 30 in verse 1. I was claiming Psalm 40 in verse 2. I wanted the Lord to draw me out of the depths. I wanted him to put my whole truck on top of the rock. The thought of those critters in what is probably not the cleanest kind of mud you can have, crawling on me, was not pleasant. The thought of them crawling on our sons was rather funny. (laughs) The thought of them crawling on us, not pleasant. Job is not having a good day, friends. He had a bot fly infection. Mango worms had attacked his scalp. His life was covered in discouragement and opposition. It was all he could see. Tired of the struggle. Somebody say "Tired." tired. Tired of the struggle. He said may darkness and deep shadow claim it. He was struggling. And he felt like throwing in the towel. Sometimes... Really yucky things dwell in the shadows. That's just the world that we live in. Turn with me to Psalm 11. When you're in Psalm 11, find verse two and say, "I'm there, Pastor." Ha ha! Shaba. Psalm 11 in verse two. For look, the wicked bend their bows. They set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. Who is the target of the wicked? The upright in heart. Where do they shoot from? From shadowy places. They attack the upright in heart. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? oh church have you never had a day like this a week like this when we are attacked and afflicted it may feel like every shadowy thing has overwhelmed us the psalmist actually felt and used the words the foundations are being destroyed In Judaism, the foundations of the world have to do with acts of righteousness, kindness, mercy. And he's saying, it's all been washed away. There's nothing good, only from the shadows, men who are trying to destroy me. You ever been so tired you just wanted to quit? How many hours do you dig without success? We watched a man take a Jeep Cherokee and reduce it to a frame sitting on a ground, unable to free our truck from the mud. First to go was the chain. After it broke, we doubled it and then tripled it. After that broke, the draw-tight hitch flew off like it was a paper clip. Much to our surprise, and thankfully, there was a small language barrier so that we were not feeling accountable for being unable to persuade him to change his mind. He wrapped the chain several wraps around his axle. That was the last time that axle will ever be used. Sometimes the mud is deep. Sometimes the days are dark. I can think of times when my whole world began to come apart. I was traveling from Baton Rouge to Lafayette. Gabriel was still inside of his mother's belly. Judah was still in a car seat. I'd lost my job. Actually, I quit my job, stretching out in faith, believing that God was about to do something in my life. None of the other players that I thought would react, reacted, found myself jobless, soon thereafter churchless, and headed to a new city to interview for a job that would pay me less than half of what I'd made the previous year. And on the way, my car hydroplaned, spun out of control, bounced off of the rails of the Atchafalaya Basin Bridge Four or five times, it was total. I sat on the edge of that bridge, jobless, churchless, penniless, and now carless, and looked over the side, spirit-filled Christian, in love with the Lord, but how deep was that darkness? I can remember a time in my early 20s when I had wanted to live as if I was in my 50s. Sometimes men in their 20s see things that men in their 50s have and they don't realize what it took to get them. How many years they worked to pay that off, build equity in it, sell it, and reinvest. They don't see those things. What you see is these men have these things and I'm a man. So I had built for myself a prison of my own construction called debt. And I remember going outside of my house, putting my head between my knees, and thinking that my heart might stop because I had no idea how to meet all of the obligations I had made for myself. How deep was that darkness? I was a part of a church that was healthy, that started well. I watched my closest friends grow And strive after God. Then I became aware of serious flaws in a leadership. There's a price sometimes for that kind of awareness. Soon I was isolated. And before long, I was outcast. From the only Christian family I had ever known. And those who I had hoped would be fathers. Fathers became in their minds to me enemies how deep was that darkness when i thought of the times in my life that the shadows started to overwhelm me it wasn't the year my father died it wasn't the year my truck was stolen it wasn't the year that we faced all of those things in one year It was the times when I had tried for God and failed. Oh, how deep was that darkness. Have you ever been in a place where the problems of the moment overshadowed every other thing in your life? Oh, let me ask you again, because you might be sleeping. Have you ever been in a place where all you could see was darkness and depression all you could see was your own failure all you could see was what was not going right the foundations of your world shaken am i the only one that's ever been there or have you experienced it too and i didn't just experience it as a lost man when i put a shotgun in my mouth at 16 i didn't just experience it as a lost man learning to drive at nine years old because my parents were too drunk to walk. I experienced it as a Christian, a spirit-filled Christian. You know, friends, I am not alone, and you are not alone. Everywhere I've traveled in the world, and that's been quite extensive in these last four or five years, There's one psalm that stands out. It stands out above and beyond all of the other psalms. Everywhere we go where they have a Bible, there is one psalm that you find on old ladies' walls and young men's Bibles. One psalm that stands out above all others, and that is the 23rd psalm. Turn with me there. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Oh, could you stretch out your hands towards heaven and say he restores my soul. You don't have to restore something that's not beat up. You don't have to restore something that's not damaged. You don't restore a car as it rolls off the lot. You restore a car as it's coming out of the junkyard. He restores my soul. Why does the world, worldwide, Love this song? because we're all too acquainted with what dwells in the shadows of death. He guides my paths in righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk, say I walk. Not somebody else walks. Not the preacher walks. Not your lost neighbor walks. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil for you are with me. King David was in the deep valley. He knew what it was to have his mother and father turn their back upon him. He knew what it was to have his oldest brother accuse him of having a wicked heart. He knew what it was to be in the depths of his own failure as he attempted to lead God's people. But he also knew that there was someone with him in the midst of the valley. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. The table is not prepared away from the battlefield. The king is not met with away from the battlefield. The king is with you in the battle and the king dines with you at the table in the midst of the battle. That day on the bridge, I was not alone, no matter how alone I felt. Would you like the proof of it? I'm still standing here. That day in my 20s with my head between my knees in the backyard convinced I was going to have a heart attack because of the crushing pressure of debt and obligation. I was not alone because I'm still here. The day I said goodbye to the church that I helped build Had a man pat me on the back and say, don't worry, son, you'll find your church out there somewhere. While he was buddying up next to my pastor, stealing the one that I helped to build. I was not alone. Church, the shadows can be dark places. And they have overcome many. But those who get David's revelation can say, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. What does it mean to have your head anointed with oil? Well, the shepherds may tell you it's a medicine, and it is. But those of you who have tasted of the anointing of God know what it really is. It's a divine empowerment to do what you could never do if you were alone. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness will follow me all the days of my life. Goodness and love, could you say that with me? Goodness and love. In your deepest shadows, in your darkest places, when your foundations have been shaken... Those who have been touched by God can say his goodness and his love follow me, not just in the future, all the days of my life. When tempted to curse your own birth, there is a revelation that the world has clung to worldwide. The 23rd Psalm teaches that you are not alone. This universal experience of all Christians having our lives overshadowed by death, but finding out he is walking with us. Isaiah spoke of this scenario in this way. This is Isaiah 9 and the first verse. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom. Can you say that? No more gloom. What would the world look like If there was no more gloom, we will find out when men receive the good news with great joy and there is peace on earth to men of goodwill. We will find it out. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. You know, the boy who helped us out of the mud in Mexico the other day. He was 18 years old, and he remembered back to the time when he was about 10, and he had seen another white truck and a fat guy in a cowboy hat who fed him on a garbage dump. And he worked with us for some 27 hours to help free us from the mud. Because he remembered a single act of kindness that was eight years before. His name was Eric Naphtali. But in the future he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by way of the sea along the Jordan. Hear this word: The people walking in darkness, where are they walking? have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Oh, man, you can be in the middle of the valley. You can be overwhelmed in darkness, but when you see just a little bit of light, you know, if you bury, say, a one-ton Ford right here, uh, maybe, say, mid-door, And you've gone some 20 hours without water uh, or food. When you're working on it and you see it move an inch, hope springs up. I'm free. I'm free. Free at last. Free at last. I'm free at last. And then it comes to a stop. And despair sits back in. When you see a small ray of light, what does that do for your perspective? What does it do to change things for you? Oh, man, this may be the one week of the year where the Russians invaded Afghanistan or Kolo, the gorilla, came into being or Bugsy Siegel built a hotel. It could be the one week a year where somebody considers that the world has seen a great light. But it didn't happen on this week. What difference does it make? If you are or have been sitting in darkness, I want to encourage you. The prophet Micah was just like you. And this is his testimony. He writes it near the end of his work. It's the seventh chapter and the eighth verse of Micah. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Oh, can you hear a certain level of disdain in that? If you have to tell someone not to gloat over you, do you feel pretty beaten? You can picture the enemy standing over him. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath. The wages of sin are death, friends. They're death. The darkness might be your own creation or it might be someone else's, but when you're in it, what difference does it make? It's dark. You can look like a pincushion of arrows that the enemy has shot at you. Have you never noticed when you're driving in traffic how few people are happy? Have you ever looked around at the people that are around us? They're in the valley of the shadow of death. They need to see light, any light, a glimmer of light, a a little bit, a twinkle, a hope somewhere to start a spark. How much revelation did you have when you got saved? Was it a pebble, a stone, or a mountain, or a grain of sand? Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath until... Somebody say until. He pleads my case and establishes my right. Who pleads the case of Micah? He has an advocate. He's seen a very great light. He has a hope. He may be sitting on the bridge thinking of jumping over. But there is an advocate speaking in his ear. This is not the end of you. This is not the end of my work for you. This is not the end of my call for you. It's not finished. he will plead your cause and he will establish the right that he has earned for you. He will bring me out into the light. I will see his righteousness. When you can see no righteousness of your own, look towards Jesus When you can find nothing good in your life, look towards Jesus. When you are so buried in the mud, you will never get free. Look towards Jesus. He has enough righteousness for him and you both. He has enough light for him and you both. Oh, how it changes things. There is another way. There is another kind of shadow. We can exchange the shadow of death for a better shadow we can be overshadowed not by problems not by sin not by destruction we can be overshadowed in an entirely different way turn with me to exodus the 25th chapter when you get there find the 17th verse Make an atonement cover of pure gold. Somebody say pure. Pure. Isn't that a great word, pure? Make an atonement cover of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide, and make two cherubim out of hammered golds at the ends of the cover. Pure gold and hammered gold. (laughs) Friends, he is pure gold. If there's any gold you have, it had to be hammered upon just to cover you in it. The same cross that Jesus was nailed to and the same hammer that was used, it's the same process that inlays you with gold. Through the crucifixion of your flesh, through its repetitive failures and straining for obedience, the king of kings is inlaying you with golds. Make one cherub on one end and a second cherub on the other. Make the cherubim of one piece with the cover at the two ends. The cherubim are to have their wings spread upward. Somebody say upward. Overshadowing the cover with them. The cherubim are to face each other looking towards the cover. Get the imagery here. Two heavenly creatures, wings stretched forward. They're made of one piece with the atonement cover and they're casting a shadow upon the atonement cover. God dwells on a throne called the Merkava, a chariot of fire. He mounts the winged creatures and he moves about and he's also enthroned upon his people. This is why it is said that we dwell in the shadow of the Most High. The redeemed live not in the shadow of death but in the shadow of the atonement cover and that changes everything. No flaw is fatal. No mistake is permanent. No situation can keep you from finding new fortunes in Christ. The King of Kings wants to make atonement for you. He wants for you to do away with what is earthly and sinful and be overshadowed by something that is heavenly. He wants to cast a different kind of shadow on your life, one that's not meant to shroud you in darkness, but instead to protect you and encourage you. What is the difference between shadow and shade? You love one and you hate the other. Has anybody been thrilled to be described as a shadowy character? And when we say shadow games, don't you think of spies and covert action? But when you hear the word shade, oh, that's pleasant, isn't it? They're both performing a function. Turn with me to Psalm 36. When you get to Psalm 36, say there, this is one I would really like you to go to. Abigail, could you come sit right here? I'm so proud of you. Just have a seat. Death doesn't have to define us. Heaven can define us. We have a loving father. He thinks of us much like I think of Abigail. In Psalm 36, starting in verse 5, don't think of the third day song Think of this being written. Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Your justice like the great deep. O Lord, you preserve both man and beast. How priceless is your unfailing love. Both high and low among men find refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. Oh, how does this work? In your deepest, darkest place, when the light breaks forward, in his light, you begin to see light. What does it look like to be under his shadow? Why does the psalmist say we find refuge in the shadow of his wings? In the 15th chapter of Numbers, all Jewish men were commanded to wear a tallit. This is a prayer shawl. The corners of it, these fringes, the corners are called tassels, these Tassels are called kanaf and zitzits. The corner is a kanaf. The tassel is a zitzit. These fringes here are referred to as wings. And this is because every Jewish man that spent time wrapped in what God commanded him to wear, remembering and reciting the words and commands of God, would cast a shadow to all Hebrews that looked like a protective bird because the men had to wear this, they assumed that God, their father, wore it. And what the psalmist is saying is both high and low find refuge in the shadow of your wings. Have you ever just needed to feel close to the Lord for a few minutes? You remember the song, If I Could Just Sit With You For A While? She could be terrified. She could be hungry. She could be sick. She could be so many things. But the moment that her daddy wraps his arms around her, she feels nothing but safety, security, and love. The world has not changed outside of this garment, but she has changed inside of this garment, oh, come on church! how do you find refuge in the shadow of his wings? You have to get close enough to him for his shadow to be cast upon you. Are some closer than others? Yes, we all have different revelations into the word, and you're responsible for the revelation you have, and I'm not alleviating that, but I got to say this week we probably ought not be talking about Kolo, the gorilla. This might be a chance to put somebody just a little closer to the loving arms of a savior. Jewish fathers were supposed to set a standard in their home. They got married under a hopa, which is this garment under four poles. They're supposed to raise their family under the commands of God. When the psalmist was in trouble, he said, His father, let him find refuge under his wings, in his commands, in his nature, in his character. Abby, do you feel safe? Yes. Are you particularly worried anybody in here is going to hurt you? No. Out of the mouths of babes. When you think on this subject remember that there is no light outside of his light but in his light the scripture says we see light how do you change your situation you can't but if you cry out for his light as soon as it comes you begin to see light in his light when he wraps his arms around you, you will know it because your perspective on the entire world changes. This imagery is found also in Psalm 91. Let us go there and we can speak about it for a moment. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the of the Almighty. Say, rest. Rest. Could Abby be at rest in the shadow? She could. She should. This is our relationship to the Father. We strive so hard. We try to free ourselves from the darkness. You can't. You wait to get free so that you can go to his arms. No, he was with you in the darkness. You don't leave darkness to come to God. He's standing with you in your darkness. He's fully aware. You don't have the power to free yourself. You never have. If you're older than one years old, then you've had enough years of experience that have proven it. Think upon your life for a minute. Not everyone else's. Not some other church in some other place. What have you ever been able to accomplish in your own strength besides a curse? But when the king wraps his arms around you, you can rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I... Oh, wow. Do you really trust the Lord today? Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers and under His wings you will find refuge. Refuge. The psalmist is picking up on the Hebrew poetic view of God. They're saying even if there's somebody out there that's trying to trap and kill birds, even if there is a deadly pestilence, our Father will wrap His arms around you. You remember Jesus said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I have longed to comfort you. It is the same imagery. We're tempted to think of maybe the way a chicken wraps its wings around Chicks, that would be like the lowest of the lowest of the lowest inferences. It's really about how God wraps his arms around his people. Can you say the shadow of death is exhausting? Oh, man, it's exasperating. It's infuriating. It's frustrating. I still have scars on my hands, head, and body from the time I've spent in the shadows of death. but the shadow of the Almighty is rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, he said. My yoke is easy and it's light. He will give you refuge under his wings. He can swallow death and defeat while releasing us to victory. The book of Malachi has an encouragement for you and for me and for all who would hear it. It's Malachi, the fourth chapter and second verse. It says, but for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. Some look at the sun and say it's an object of pagan idolatry. Others say, my God made that, and every time it comes up, it's a reminder. His healing is on the way. Sometimes it's a matter of perspective. Around the world, they do. They worship the sun in ungodly ways. But when Malachi looked at the sun, he said, when it rises, it reminds me, healing is in his wings. Oh, the day will come to light when the world is healed of its evils. I'm convinced it starts with one life at a time. And you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. Then you will trample down the wicked and they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I do these things. On the day when the Lord wraps His arms around you and you find healing under His zitzit, You turn on the enemy that has so abused you and you set your heart to destroying his work in all of its various forms. Whose team are you on this morning? You cannot speak about overshadowed on this week without thinking of a young virgin named Mary. Turn with me to Luke, the first chapter. At least I'm preaching on things that are completely irrelevant to your lives, right? I read something yesterday about a pastor's Facebook post and Twitter feeds. Feeds, tweets, what ridiculousness. many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times talking about dreams, talking about good things, maybe sugar, plums, and fairies, but no discussion of sin, no discussion of the saving power of Jesus Christ. Oh, man, if there's one time that we could turn the conversation, knowing that nothing about this week is biblically correct or accurate. But what difference does it make? It's what they're talking about this week. Oh, man. There's nothing that I like about Halloween. Nothing. Except that people come to my door instead of me having to go to theirs. If you have no idea how to handle the holiday season, understand, I'm with you. I sympathize with your various extremes in here. I've been in almost all of them. But one thing we have to agree on, this is an opportunity for evangelism because the world is trapped in darkness. And all of us agree we want to bring light. We can argue about the best way to carry it. We can argue about who's shining it more brightly. But we cannot argue about their need for it or the way things change when they get a revelation. In fact, I want a revelation. Are you in Luke? Look at Luke 1 and 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. If heaven showed up and spoke to you, what would it say? Mary was greatly troubled at his words. If she was troubled at these words, can you imagine at how troubled you may be at the words you hear? will never end how will this be mary asked the angel is that not the best question you have ever heard i could have asked why i I could have asked so many things not just why do you want to do it how about why me if she had been a theologian, she might have said, God, you can stamp your fingers and do it. You know, we've been teaching, you're omniscient, you're omnipresent, you know, you're... We got all kind of words for you, Lord. Why don't you just do it that way? She had one question. How? I want to tell you that the answer to this question is the answer to your every problem. It's the answer to my every problem. It's the answer to my darkest day, and it's the answer to my very best day. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The truth is, your life is being overshadowed already by something. You're either dwelling in a shadow that is darkness, or you're being overshadowed by the power of God's Spirit. One shadow or the other will define you, and in one, you have frustration, in futility, in fear. In the other, you have rest and empowerment and can accomplish great things for God. Why Mary? I want to give you five things about Mary, and then we're going to worship. I pray these five things are found in your life. The first one is a bit odd. I feel a little bit strange saying it. I have five children. The first thing that the angel says, or that the scripture says about Mary. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee, to a... Oh, you don't want to say it in church either, huh? To a... Oh, friends, purity can be lost, we know. But in the light of God's word, purity can be regained. May you be spiritually pure, even as Mary was physically pure. So you don't understand, Pastor, you don't know what I've done. I don't. If you've sinned, it's wicked. I'm not giving you a free pass any more than I'm giving myself a free pass. But I can tell you that Isaiah says this. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. I'm not going to say it doesn't matter what you've done because it matters a great deal to me. If you ran over my relative, I care. If it was me you tried to abort, I care very much. But I'm going to say no matter how deep your darkness, I know the one that can wash it away. I'm not going to trivialize it. I'm not going to say that you don't have to wrestle with that's why the king of kings was killed, for your wickedness. But I am going to tell you that that's why he was killed, for your wickedness. And what is the most tragic and terrible news, that your sin crucified him is also the best news that there could possibly be because he was already crucified for your sin. He can make you white as snow. Oh, if heaven spoke to you this day, would you be a spiritual virgin? It entirely depends on where you stand in relation to the shadow of the cross of Christ. Sometimes people visit it and then dwell so far from it, they're nowhere near its shadow. The second thing, she was pledged to be married. Are you completely committed this week, could the Apostle Paul have said this to you in 2 Corinthians 11, 1, I hope you will put up with my foolishness, but you're already doing that. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promise you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. It's Christ, your one great love. Or is he one love among many? Oh, this is a question. In this country, we think that we're free from paganism and idolatry, but we're not. We've learned to love so many things right alongside Christ. I say you should work that out with fear and trembling. It's far too precious to approach lightly. I'm working it out with fear and trembling. I want pure, unadulterated devotion to Christ. Do you have it? Third, the angel says to her, the Lord is with you. It turns out that the same God that was with David in the valley, the same God that was with Job through all of his affliction was also with Mary. As I read this this morning, realizing that the clock was moving, And I might be late for a church service in the church that I founded. I still could not help but get caught up and moved to tears with the 46th Psalm. God is our refuge and strength an ever-present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Listen to this phrase. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. Before we get to the next part, the sons of Korah wrote this. They had watched their daddy get swallowed by the earth. They had seen a rebellion against God and God's people, and they watched him die. And they're still able to say, he's an ever-present help in times of trouble though the earth give way. Because they found a delight. Look at verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fail. God will help her at the break of day. They knew that the Lord was with them. If you stand here at a holiday and you are brokenhearted over who is not here with you. I sympathize with you. I miss my father. I have living relatives that will not speak to me. But I'm not going to focus on who's not with me this week. This is the one week of the year when even lost people acknowledge who is with us this week. Oh, come on, church. They said his name is Emmanuel. It means God is with us. They say the virgin will be with child. He is an ever present help in times of trouble. The fourth thing that was said to Mary was that she should not be afraid. I want to tell you that when you love the Lord and you know that the Lord is with you, when you know that you are pure before Him, when you know that your commitment to Him is unrivaled, there is no room for fear. 1 John four seventeen says, In this way, Love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like Him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because He first loved us. Why did David give? Because God had given it to him. Why do you love? Because the Lord has loved You, he's not asking anything of us that he's not done for us and demonstrated to us. You know where fear belongs? When you're living under the shadow of a tyrant rather than a savior. Whose shadow do you live under? I love John the baptizer. I love him so much that I cannot refer to him by the name that everyone else says. John the immerser knew what it was to live under the shadow of the Almighty. And this is it in a nutshell. In the Gospel of John, in the third chapter, and the 27th verse is our last scripture today. To this John replied... A man can receive only what was given him from heaven. What have you been given? How great is that gift? You yourselves can testify, I said, I am not the Christ, but sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. You want to know what it is to live under the shadow of the Almighty? You have to position your life like Mary's. You have to be small so that He can be great. You have to let His light be your source of light in everything you do. It means we throw away our own ideas. It means we throw away our concepts of what we think is and is not possible. For with the Lord, all things are possible. It means that our opinions matter not. And the Lord's revelation is everything. I pray that this week you exalt him so that you find yourself under his shadow because that's where every good thing dwells. I reordered our service today. Protestants can do it. We've been doing it for a couple hundred years. I reordered it because usually we exalt the Lord during worship and you feel his presence And you feel the rest that comes from his shadow. And then we move into the word. Today, I wanted to leave this building with the feeling that the Lord had been exalted in our lives to his rightful place. That we were living under his shadow. And in his light, we could see light even though the world around us is darkness. Could you stand to your feet with me?